Well, good morning, ZPC. How are you? Great. Well, before I, uh, before I begin, I just want to kind of point out, many of you know this, but um, uh, our, uh, our trusty and loyal associate pastor here, Scott Shelton, um, celebrated a birthday on Friday, and not just any birthday. And I, I don't want to say how many years it is, because that seems rude, so I won't give you exact number, but I will tell you it's a half century. Uh, and so, um, but I thought maybe just as a, uh, we won't actually, we say sing, but... Uh, And, uh, and he has been here for almost half of that half century, which is pretty, uh, pretty amazing, really, that he's still able to walk. And so, uh, no, it's, it's great. We had a wonderful uh, celebration at our staff meeting. We brought him a wheelchair and some balloons, and uh, we had a good time. So, all right, sisters and brothers, let's look over uh, this story. Obviously, this is a very lengthy story, and so we won't look over all of it, but we're going to read this morning from uh, the 45th chapter of Genesis, verses 1 through 15. And so I invite you now to hear these words. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, while Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning after having heard this extraordinary story. 
And we pray, God, that you would open up our ears, our hearts, our minds to the ways in which this story may speak to us even now. And I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen and amen. Well, it's kind of a shame, it seems to me. I'm glad that we're doing the series that we're doing, but it's kind of a shame that we, we can't spend more time on this story of Joseph. It's really kind of an, an intriguing story, and hopefully at some point maybe we can come back and spend more time on it. I've always loved this story. I think especially as a younger brother or a younger sibling, this story has always kind of resonated with me. Uh, Younger siblings always know that you can never be your own person, really. By and large, uh, as soon as you're born, you're already compared to those who have gone before. You're already compared to your older siblings. And of course, for this day and age of which Joseph is a part, that's even more the case, which is why it's not all that surprising that, that it was a dream and a dreamer who thought that perhaps things could be different because only, only a dreamer, especially in that day and age, would have believed that at some point he might take the lead. And not only that, of course, but, you know, many folks have kind of considered, and I think somewhat rightfully so, that Joseph was kind of arrogant uh, when it came to kind of talking about these dreams that he was having and, and how excited he was to share them with his older brothers. And we think, well, what a fool to have done that. But again, as a younger sibling, I can tell you that any opportunity that you have to show up an older brother or sister, you always take. Amen? I mean, any opportunity that you have to kind of triumph in some way over them, you will do even even if you are physically abused or hit afterwards or get in trouble with your parents, it is completely worth showing up to your older siblings. And so it really is not all that surprising that Joseph did that. And yet I am sure that there was no one who was more surprised at the repercussions of what Joseph had done than Joseph himself. And I wondered to myself as I was thinking about it this week, what was he thinking when he's sitting in that pit and he's wondering what's going to come next, if anything, but his death? I mean, was he thinking, you know, I, I knew I should have only told them one of those two dreams. The second one was a bit too much. Or, or was he saying, I, I, I had a feeling I shouldn't have worn this special jacket today. I knew that was going to get me in trouble. I I don't know what he was thinking, but I I have a great feeling that as he is in the caravan and he's going and walking to, to Egypt where he knows he's going to be sold as a slave, that surely he had to be wondering whether or not the dream was dead. He had to be wondering whether or not God was still with him. He, he had to be questioning whether or not God had really given him this dream or if it was just a dream. But then he gets to Potiphar's house. Potiphar buys him and all of a sudden he starts working his way up the, the slave ladder, if you will. And before you know it, Potiphar kind of puts him in charge of his, of his household. And at this moment, right, uh, he has to be thinking, well, maybe the dream's not quite as dead as I thought. He has to be thinking, maybe God really is into this. And then all of a sudden, of course, he, he, he rejects the advances of Potiphar's wife, not doing what he knew was wrong. And 
Because of that, he's thrown into jail. And surely, as he sits there in jail, he has to be wondering, is God still with me? Was that dream really from God or was it just a dream? But Joseph begins to work his way up the prisoner ladder, if you will. And before you know it, he's the head prisoner. And he has to be thinking to himself, well, it's not exactly the dream I was having, but this is something at least. I've, I've worked my way up and maybe God is still with me here. And so he, he sits there and even more so, of course, when the, the baker and the cupbearer come and, and he's able to interpret their dreams and they're saying, hey, we won't forget you. We'll, we'll, we'll tell the Pharaoh how you have been falsely imprisoned. You don't even worry about it. And then days turn into weeks, turn into months, which turn into years. And Joseph has yet again been forgotten. And surely Joseph in these moments is wondering, is God still here? Was that dream really from God or was it just a dream? then Pharaoh shows up. He's had another dream and and Joseph tells and interprets a dream and and again before you know it all of a sudden now Joseph is second in command over all of Egypt. Finally it seems the dream finally took. Joseph at this moment has to be amazed it seems to me of all that is happening of of how this dream is finally coming to fruition And, and maybe it's not his brothers who are going to bow down to him but there are plenty of others who are bowing down to him until of course his brothers show up on the scene and at this point this point, Joseph begins playing, if you know the story well, and I don't have time to go into it, but, but he starts kind of giving them something and then kind of tricking them and, and then giving them something and then tricking them again. And, and many think that, that, that what he's doing is testing his brothers, and that certainly could be the case. And yet there's a part of me that wonders whether or not he's simply biding his time, trying to take time, delaying things because he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to process all of the emotions and the thoughts that he surely would have been going through. I mean, what would you be thinking? Surely he was thinking all of these years, all of these repercussions from what these brothers did. Nearly killed, sold as a slave, falsely imprisoned, falsely accused, forgotten again and again by those who should not have forgotten him. Years and years away from his beloved father and from his country. All because of a dream that these brothers didn't like that he had had. And after years of loss and disappointment and anger and hope and disappointment again and hope and disappointment again and and fears, after all of those years of pent-up emotion, Joseph does the only thing that he could do. The only thing probably that he could not help but do which is to cry. 
And this is in some ways where the storybook gets it wrong, it seems to me. It simply kind of says that tears welled up in his eyes. It was much more than that. He began to sob, to weep. And the pain and the tears came from so deep within that they could not help but reach people who were far off in the distance. Cries that spoke what words never could about the anguish and the pain that he had gone through because of what these brothers had done long before. Finally, Joseph says to his brothers, come close to me. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the room that had been full of this voluminous weeping and sobbing became eerily, if not deathly, silent. As one commentator has said, there could have been no worst words for these brothers to have heard. When he said, I am Joseph. How fearful would that have been? If you knew that you had deceived a brother years and years before, but he had gone away to have heard those words, why shouldn't they be afraid? Why wouldn't they be afraid? And then to hear the words come closer to me. The brothers, of course, didn't want to come closer, did they? They wanted to stay at a distance. And why wouldn't they? I mean, from a distance, you can do a lot of things. One of them is you could fool yourself into thinking that you misheard Joseph. Maybe he didn't really say, I am Joseph, right? Where is my, is my father still alive? Maybe that's not what he really said. Or, or from a distance, you, can, you don't have to look at somebody close to the eyes. They didn't have to look at the pain even more closely than they had already heard it. From a distance, of course, they could still run, run, run. Away from their past, away from the present, away from the future. But when they were close, there was a vulnerability that they could not deny. From a close distance, one of two things were going to happen. They were going to be killed or they were going to be embraced. And you can rest assured they thought it was not going to be the latter of the two. But Joseph knew that the only way for them to really have this conversation was close to one another. Mark Laberton has said that difficult conversations have to occur at close distances. You can't have hard conversations from far away because you don't really read. You can't really look into the eyes of those whom you might have hurt or who have hurt you. You can't read the emotion and the story from a distance. You need to come close and be able to see what it is, to peer into their eyes. And so they came close. I kind of picture it kind of like a group of them kind of doing not knowing what was going to happen. And so they finally get close enough. And he says, yes, I love the honesty. 
Yes, I'm the brother whom you sold into Egypt. But then he does this fascinating twist. Because all of a sudden he says, but but don't be afraid. Don't don't worry. It wasn't you who sent me to Egypt. It It was God. And a few chapters later he will say, what you meant for evil, God intended for good. And it's pretty easy, it seems to me, for us to think that this is just kind of Joseph trying to kind of, you know, act like nothing happened or, or let his brothers off of the hook. But of course, Joseph has already been very clear in his crying and in his words that he knows what they did and that it was not good. Instead, what Joseph is doing, he's not trying to sidetrack it. He's, he's not just trying to discard it as if, as if there was no pain, as if it wasn't a mistake. What he's showing is the reality that he finally has begun to see that even those mistakes and that pain, God can turn into something beyond what he ever could have imagined when he was sitting in that pit or in that prison. It is a remarkable statement of faith to be able to say what you meant for evil, God has been able to use for good. And it is a complete change of perspective when you are able to see your own journey in that way. One of the things that, uh, that you will know if you've been married is that, and my guess is, that you and your spouse are not exactly the same. Is that true for most of you who are married? Yeah. And so Megan and I are not exactly the same We have a lot of similarities, but we also have some differences. And I discovered this pretty early on when we were still dating. So I I, I was aware. We uh, one time we went to the aquarium in uh, in Chicago, the Shed Aquarium. And so when I go to something like that, I I like to look at the aquarium, and there's a a, a row of aquariums, and I say, "Oh, nice fish." And then I come back here, and nice fish. And then I, I go on, right? I mean, there's. Once you've seen a fish, you've seen a fish, right? And so I, I keep kind of moving forward. And, and I noticed at this point, after i kind of gone through, it's the first time that Meg and I had ever gone to something like this. I, I looked back and I realized she was still like way back, right? I think she was counting gills or something. I don't know what she was doing, but she was a ways off in the distance. So I went to her and just kind of, you know, gently, you know, kind of pulled her. Let's, let's move forward, right? And, and, and that has continued to be the case whenever we go into a museum, and a few years back, we went into an art museum, and, and sure enough, there we were, and we were kind of just going through the museum, and, and, and you know, and by this time, you know, I mean, I, I, had, I had moved forward, and I looked, and I realized that Megan was a couple centuries back, and so I, <laughs> so my goodness, so I, I walk, and I kind of maneuvered my way, and finally I saw her off in the distance, and, and, and she was something quite peculiar. She, she had this camera, and, 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 the, and she was really close to this picture. She was at the Impressionist uh, uh, um, century. And so she was there, and she took a picture really close, and then she took a step back, and she took another picture, and then she took another step back, and another picture, and another step back. And I, so finally I had, I mean, you know, come on. And so I, I had to go up to her, and I said, babe, you know, if we're going to get out of here the same century we came, we really need to go. And so, we, so, so finally. Finally, we left. But then later on that day, we were looking through and she was showing me these pictures, right, on this digital camera. And, and so she showed me the first picture. And the very first picture was the one where she was really close. And it was this, uh, this seemingly kind of uh, indescribable, if you will, just kind of blob of paint. It's very nondescript. 
And, and quite frankly, if you look at it, at that first picture, it could have been a mistake. I mean, it easily could have been the, the, the paintbrush just kind of falling off and hitting the canvas and then falling to the ground. And, and so I said, that's great, babe. It's beautiful. Well done. And so then, then she takes a step back, right? So the next picture... All of a sudden, there were these seemingly kind of uh, indescribable uh, uh, blobs of paint that could have been mistakes, but they were joined up together, and you could almost see, well, that's interesting. It, it almost looks like it's becoming something. And then, and then another picture further back, and, and before you know, I'm like, well, you know, that, that almost looks like a dress, and all of these kind of seemingly kind of indescribable, hard to tell what they are, blobs of paint that could have been mistakes all of a sudden starting to make something. And, and so she kept going back until that final picture and there, as you look at these, all, all these kind of indescribable kind of weird blobs of paint that could have been mistakes are all joined together, blob after blob, mistake after mistake, until all of a sudden, as you looked at it, there was this woman in this dress in this orchard walking around on a beautiful spring day, it seemed. It was an amazing portrait. But it was one that you could only see as the time had progressed and as you had kept moving back. As I think about the story of Joseph, and perhaps even as you think about your own life, the reality for Joseph is that there were a lot of blobs of paint in this story of his. Some of them were good, his, his faithfulness, uh, the, the, prison, the prison guard, uh, uh, the pharaoh, but many of them, Many of them were mistakes. Joseph's arrogance, his brother's hatred, Potiphar's wife, the forgetfulness of the cupbearer. And yet, here is Joseph on this day as he looks back, all of a sudden he is able to see how all of these seemingly indescribable kind of blobs of paint, many of them mistakes, how God as the artist has been able to use those despite the pain and been able to paint a picture of his life that long before had started as a dream and now has become a beautiful picture of his journey. But that's not always easy to see when we are in the middle of the painting. And I come to find that most of us, many of us wrestle sometimes with not just simply staring at that one blob of paint, that one mistake. Especially if it's a mistake that's been caused by someone else that has caused us pain or anger that has distorted the dream that we thought that we had, it is easy for us to get so caught up in that blob of paint, that mistake that we simply cannot move forward. And I think that one of the only things that has allowed Joseph to continue to move forward is the fact that he continued to trust God enough to be able to forgive the people all throughout the journey. And that that forgiveness, forgiveness is a way of stepping back and saying, I may not quite understand this mistake and I'm not going to act like it didn't hurt, but I'm going to trust that God, the artist, is going somehow to use this mistake and somehow paint it into a part of my journey that says, I am not going to give in to that mistake or that hurt or that pain. 
It doesn't mean that it happens like this. It may take weeks. It may take months. It may take even years. But it is a commitment to say, I trust God enough to be able to forgive this person at some point. I mean, what might Joseph's life have looked like had he decided after they had sold him to slavery that he wasn't going to forgive his brothers, that he was just going to be angry, livid, and just live his life in that. He would still be at Potiphar's house. Or if he had decided, I'm just going to be angry at Potiphar's wife for how she unjustly accused me of something, he would still be sitting there in prison. Or if he said, you know what, I've already interpreted dreams for a cupbearer and a baker and it didn't work out, so why should I try to interpret your dreams, Pharaoh? But Joseph decided that rather than allowing the pain of the mistakes that others have made in his life to draw his picture that he was going to be willing to forgive and step back and allow God to be in control and say, I may not make sense to me, but I'm going to forgive even in the midst of the pain. And as we talked about this as a worship team, we asked ourselves, what does this mean? And, and how can we kind of, how can we process through this? And it seems to me one of the things that we did is we, we handed you a piece of paper and, and, and and, and we thought, you know what, maybe one of the things that we could do is just ask people, uh, we don't want you just to think about it. That maybe we can ask people if they actually want to just simply write down something. This could be something that someone has done to you. It may have been yesterday. It may have been years ago. As a way of just simply writing down and saying, this is the thing that I'm struggling with forgiving. It may be a first step. It may be a tenth step. It may be a hundredth step. But I think the practice of forgiveness comes when we visibly perhaps sometimes or physically begin to write something as a way of saying this is important. For others of you, and I know people don't like me to keep bringing this up, and I don't bring it up that much, but I still see the pain. It may be some of you who continue to be angry at the fact that people left ZPC. And it may be that you need to write that down. I am, I am going to begin to forgive those who have left. For others of you, it may be the anger that somebody's still here that you wish would have left ZPC. <laughs> and for others of you, it, it may simply be not a forgiveness of God, because clearly we are in no position to do that. But it may be an anger that you have that God allowed something to happen. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, and surely Joseph wrestled with this as well. Saying, God, how could you allow this to happen? And it may be that you simply write that down as a way of saying, I'm going to try and, and move forward in this. I'm going to try to think that there is some way, even though I may not see it now, I may never see it, but that you are using this. That somehow you can make something out of that mistake, out of that pain. Use it for this picture that you are painting of my life. And so I'm going to encourage you to just take a couple of minutes right now to just write something down. If you don't have anything, I'm not into people making fake statements. So don't worry about it. But if you don't, then I, I would encourage you to pray. To pray for those who are around you who may continue to be struggling to forgive those whom they need to be able to forgive. Let's do that now.
thing you can keep writing, but that paper that you have is not just regular paper. It is actually kind of, it is dissolvable paper. And we wanted to do that as kind of a way of saying, we're going to have intinction today, communion, which means you're going to kind of come forward. And, and at each of the stations, right in front of the station, there are these bowls of water. And again, if you want to, you're not forced to by any stretch. But if you want to, again, as a sign of kind of saying, this is a next step for me to, to try to move forward in this, in this forgiveness. If you want to put that down in the paper, in, in the water. And, and at each one, there's a paintbrush. And we have that there for a couple of reasons. One is it seems to me kind of a sign of the hope that you are, you are, you are, you are wiping this out. You are, you are asking God to take this back and to, and to somehow be able to use that mistake as a part of a larger journey. And the other reason that we're using this paintbrush is because if you just put it in the water, it will not dissolve very quickly. And if someone you're forgiving is right behind you, it could get real awkward real fast. So I would encourage you to put the water, put it in the water, and then to kind of uh, rub the brush around a little bit. And we are doing it, uh, communion today, via intinction. So let me say a couple things about that. One is, uh, again, I, and I, because I know that there are visitors here, um, if you're curious, if you're in this row, you can kind of, you will, you will come down this direction if you want to put something in the water, and then you can take communion here and walk back, and, and this direct, you guys will go this way, and you guys will go counterclockwise, as, as will you. But I think it is, I mean, I am always amazed at God's providence and the fact that we are doing communion today. Somebody on Thursday at, at this Life Changes Bible study that I, uh, that I sometimes teach, once a month or so, um, uh, they asked a question uh, about forgiveness. And what if it's something horrible? You are really finding it difficult to forgive. Abuse. And as I continue to kind of think about that question, I realize that perhaps the best place to begin is not by trying to think about that person and trying to say, how can I force myself to forgive this person? Perhaps the best way to begin is by remembering the forgiveness that we have received from Christ. That we begin not with, again, focusing on that issue, but simply by asking God to help us to remember and allow that forgiveness that he has given us to soak deeply into who we are. And that maybe down the road, as we fully embrace that grace more and more, then perhaps might we be in a position to slowly begin to forgive even the most brutal of mistakes or sins. So we have an opportunity to come together. To come together and to take of the bread and the cup. To remember how Christ has forgiven us. And to remember how we have been called to forgive others. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is a feast of God. And it is Jesus who invites us to come to this table in order to remember all that he has done. So Christ Jesus invites us to share this feast.